if we look at people's behavior, one of the most common things that I've observed where human struggle comes from is where people are at odds within themselves in ways that they can't quite control. They typically do X, but oftentimes there's either an impulse or emotions like fear. There's these things that pop up and almost manipulate you or take over. Yeah. And you Sometimes don't have something to... else comes out. Yeah. It's like, or yes. even with anger, there's a tipping point can region and you look back at it and there's a fuck, it's a monster. That's not it's me. It's a monster. Right? Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. what the fuck? What if this is the true me, which is, I think, yeah. a, an age long fear and whip that we all used to, yeah. you know, punish ourselves. What if the fucking monster that came out in that moment is really who I am? Then yeah. I'm a piece of shit. Then I don't deserve to be or whatever, whatever is happening there. But a lot of struggle that is happening is not being able to control these parts of ourselves that are either manipulating us or overwhelming us or doing things through us that generate results we don't quite understand or don't like. And it's trying to rein that in. Like, why do I have this? And oftentimes we think about all these parts as sort of just unnecessary manipulative limbs that we just have to cut out of our lives. It's just like, hey, this shit is in the way. It's not useful. You have to learn to cut it out, not have it anymore. And then once we've cut it out, maybe it's painful in the transformation, but eventually you're going to be much happier. And the thing that I really love about IFS, internal family systems, as an idea that these parts within us have all good intentions. Even the, the things that seem so incredibly self-destructive. At the core, there is yep. an intention there that might be misguided, but is trying to protect us from something that that part within us feels threatening. In many schools of thought, it would just be like, you just need more discipline and the urge is your enemy and you just have to fight it. I like the idea of looking at some of these things that we do that we've been fighting all our lives and then trying to step away and understand, well, maybe this part or the reason I'm doing this is in one way or another trying to do something good. And maybe it's misguided, but it comes from a good place, but also it comes from a very powerful place. Oftentimes when we fight these things head on, sometimes it can work, but most of the time I've seen most people lose. When most people go on a fight with themselves, they lose. They don't win. I mean, some battles you win, some battles you fight. But I find that most of the time when we really win is when we transform, not when we have battled and killed something inside of us. That's never healthy. And when I look at some of these crazy motherfuckers like Goggins, dude, you know how much I love David Goggins, right? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, the dude is amazing. I, the world needs crazy people. Right? And he's definitely a crazy person. The world needs extremes. We need extremes to know the range of life. I love it. I have in me, there is a warrior. There is a Goggins at times. Not, I mean, obviously nothing compared to him, but there's a part of me that associates or at least admires and connects with him. I fucking love him. But he is insane. And he, I don't know if this is true or not, but my hobby therapist diagnosis from having read his book and consumed a good amount of his content is that he's not healthy. The way he had destroyed his weakness yeah. is incredibly overcompensating yeah. in ways that make for great video clips on Instagram that I enjoy, but 
that I assume make for a terrible inner experience to live through. I don't think he's in a like good place. I don't think that the people that are close to him, if you get a lot of influence from him, I don't think that that will ever get you to a happy, healthy place. I think in a small doses, he's amazing. He can be so enriching. But being him, fuck no. And being like his fucking like his partner or his child, Jesus, no. Yeah. Right? No way. Because he took whatever fucking shit was in him and he's bullying his inner demons so harsh. I think it comes at a very high price. And that is that inside of him, there's a lot that is beaten up and not in a good place. And so I think that true transformation rarely comes from these, I killed my dragon. I've seen so many people try this in a million variety of ways. Yeah. I've tried this in a million variety of ways. I, you know, hypnosis, NLP, self-help books, this, that, and the other, everything. I don't think this is a good model. Yeah. I don't think this is really serving people that well. Dude, also, like, there's something about us looking at part of ourselves and being like, oh, this serves no function. This is useless, right? And if you think about it, like, tonsils, right? Like, when I was mm -hmm. a kid, it was like, yeah, you can cut that out. They don't have any function. Appendix, yeah, you can just cut that out. No function. And now they're like, oh, actually, there's a function to this. Right? Um, yeah, because we don't fucking know shit. Yeah. We don't know shit about nutrition, about science, about anything. The other thing that I find useful about IFS that I've never thought about the inner psyche this way, right? But they are thinking about the inner psyche is like they take the systems approach. If, if our psyche has these multiple parts, then we need to look at all the parts as a system that interfunctions with each other. And when we want to cause change, we have to realize that if we fuck around with one part, it's affecting all other parts, right? Because the part is part of the system, of an ecosystem, We can't look at these behaviors or feelings that we have as singular entities that we could just dispose of and not wonder how they might affect other parts within ourselves. I remember back in the day to me, everything was just, you know, there's the truth and the truth is you're eating too much chocolate and let me just punch you in some verbal way mm -hmm. and you just make the decision and then we'll just move on with life. Yeah. But I don't understand any of why you're doing these things and yeah. I'm not replacing any of this. And so maybe I'm, I would create so much more harm if I helped you to stop eating chocolates yeah, yeah, without yeah. understanding what is truly going on. And so I really like the ecosystem approach to the psyche. We know now that when we go and fuck around with a forest, you take away one component of the forest, one animal right. dies off and we know how fuck now all these certain insects that that animal was eating are overgrowing and this is fucking with these flowers and because these flowers are not there, this is fucking with the bees and because they're not there, it fucks with the... And all of a sudden, the fucking forest is fucked up, right? The entire yeah, forest. Yeah. You, got a, you got a river and you turn it into a canal and you build a dam to control it. And it all sounds great on paper, but then in reality, 10 years later, it's like you got a new desert there, right? Yeah, and, and it's because you thought about it as like a single component. We're going mm -hmm. in to take care of this one little problem, mm -hmm. right? Without understanding... What is the ecosystem around that yeah. thing? And when we take it out, what does what kind of effect does it have on other things that are going on? Yeah. I think in the same way, I've always thought about the psyche as like, there's a list of things that are going on here and I there's things I don't like and I could just, I should mm -hmm. just be able to go there and shoot them. 
Yeah. How, and then there's like a conflicting part of me. How do I get rid of that? How do I overcome that rather than how do I integrate that? Right. Yeah. And, and, and integration doesn't always have to mean accepting it. Right. I think once you understand the group, like, right, if, if you think about it, like teaching a team, once you understand the entire team that you're teaching or that you're coaching, you understand what role every player has and what personality and how they play together and what the psyche is and what the culture is of the team. It's much easier to help certain players or help the whole perform better than if you had a coach for every single player and they knew nothing about the rest of the team and everybody just coaches mm. that one player. I like right? that picture. Yeah. Right? That, that would lead, we all understand that that would lead to terrible results. Yeah. You can easily coach, like everybody can easily individually coach players to be fit, or to be strong, or to be fast, but you can't individually coach a team to play as a team and win. Yeah. That can never work. And I think that in many ways, we look at our weaknesses or of the parts of themselves that make them unhappy. We look at them as individual things that we're just trying to figure out, how do I cut this out of my life? Hmm. How do I fucking fix this? And when we don't understand that there are players within the overall team and what is their role and why do they show up when they show up and how do we all integrate? And now how can we help them maybe play better, take on a different role or perform their role in a more helpful way for you. I think that that just has a tremendous potential. And I'm just scratching the surface. I have just started for a year now to really fuck around with this more on a day-by-day -day basis, but I've already seen some tremendous changes inside of me. And also how, you know, the other thing that's really beautiful about inner work is that it really instantly transforms how you experience the world around you. And so much more often when I interact with people today, I'm still critical, but I'm much more compassionate and I'm much slower to jump to a conclusion and go, you just need to dot, dot, dot to fix mm -hmm. this, mm -hmm. right? I'm much more, hmm, I'm curious to understand your experience better. Like I'm, I'm staying curious much longer and I'm staying compassionate much longer than I used to where I jumped to the, here's the gun, just shoot it. That was kind of my approach yeah, to most yeah, things. Yeah. Just, you're talking to them, let me interrupt you. Here's a gun, <laughs> shoot it. And I'm telling you, when you don't have any other tools, that can be a good tool sometimes. Right. I'm not even saying, because I'm sure there's some kind of demons, they need shooting. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you just, we just all have to shut the fuck up and just go and do yeah. it. But it's not the solution to every human challenge. I find my life more enjoyable this way. When I interact with people, mm. being more compassionate, being more patient, being more curious is more enjoyable for me. It makes my life and how I experience other people more enjoyable. There's more depth to it. There's more flavor to it. There's a richness in those interactions yeah. that I was missing yeah. and lacking when I was throwing a gun at everybody's face. Like I like my life to be more interesting. You know what's yeah. funny? I don't know if you, do you know the difference or would you be able to, to articulate a difference between empathy and compassion? Hmm. 
Not sure. Like compassion to me sounds more like something that um, empathy is more like feeling what the other person feels, being able to to relate to that. And compassion seems more like almost like a caring, softer understanding and still being able to face with love the you know the the, the suffering and the shortcomings of another person yeah I, I honestly i think i've always uh, used those terms interchangeably and recently i read that in some kind of a study i don't remember which book it was but it was in some kind of a study psychological study where they they could determine that people that were in a state of empathy were mostly in a negative emotional state, right? Feeling a pain or a mm -hmm. lack or a prop. And people that were in a, a state of compassion was were in a positive state, mostly feeling love mm -hmm. or feeling hope or feeling understanding or feeling closeness. And that makes sense because when I think about the when I think about the people in my life that are the most empathetic, they're the ones that are just suffering with and for other people mm -hmm. emotionally, sometimes over suffering. Like sometimes I would, to my reading of the situation, I'd be like, this person suffers a little, but you amplify it by a thousand in yeah. the way that you feel into it. And so I've always kind of had trouble with empathy but compassion is something I've experienced as well as empathy. And compassion is so much more powerful because it comes from this I'm okay, you're okay framework. Like it comes from I care for you and I understand you and I feel close to you, but I also am hopeful for you and I believe in you. There's a there's kind of a warmth to compassion that's also that's comforting, but it's also encouraging. Like there's hopefulness in it. Well, empathy can be that, but it can also just be, I'm going to suffer exactly the way that you are suffering so that you don't suffer alone, right? Anyways, a little tangent, but maybe because I, I use the word and more compassion, because this is really what I feel. I feel more often when I interact with people, I don't think they're not okay, which is something that was underlyingly what I thought about lots of people when I interacted with them. There's something about them that's not okay. And now more often, I think you're okay, I'm okay. And this struggle that you're going through, this problem, I get it. And if I was going through it the way you're going through it, it would suck. But you're going to be okay. Yeah. It's okay. It's not that big of a deal. Like we, you'll, It will or you will figure it out. And even if not, then so be it. Yeah. Um, Dude, what's, what's, what's one part of yourself that you look at these days and you're like, this just puzzles me. Maybe my old self would have gotten frustrated about it, upset about it, or would have tried to shoot it. And I know there's something to do there and to figure out there, but I'm still looking at it and I'm like, ah, I don't know what this is. Mm. Hmm. There's nothing that comes to mind that is, well, okay, that's not true. There's a couple of things that I think I can see a shape, you know, it's not like completely puzzling to me and sort of like, I don't understand anything about this, mm -hmm. but there's, there's a lot of insecurities that I have at times or certain like, they, okay, I'll give you one. I have a part of me that's very needy that in relation with other people, especially when it comes to intimate relationships or deep friendships where 
to my mind and myself is needy in a way that I deem very unattractive and sort of weak and weird. Hmm. And I used to like, I am so good at suppressing that a lot of the impulses that come from that part, the, all the ones that are public, I have become a master in suppressing. So you would never know, hmm. right? The ones that are internal, it's a mixed bag. Like some of them I will experience, but almost in a half trance. And only recently I've gotten more aware of it. And at first, I think I struggled with that. And now I'm much more in a state of deep curiosity about where does that come from? What is that part in me that feels so unsure of a relationship or so unsure of love that it's like, hyper nervous and hyper needy in how it wants these things to be confirmed. And that part of me is in complete contrast with other parts of me. Yeah. Like another part of me that wants to be completely free. So let's say, you know, you're my, like, not, let's say you are my best friend, right? And I love you yeah. and we have a very close relationship. Now, I don't know, like I haven't had this emotion with you in a long time but let's say well i'll give you a good example let's say you start a fucking you do producering and start a podcast with somebody else and uh -huh, let's uh -huh. say you get super into working with that person and then when i write you hey do you have time this week you'd go well this week i'm doing the podcast with this other friend right dumb example yeah. let's say that just pops out of the thin air all of a sudden within two weeks now there's another podcast and you don't want to have, spend time recording then a work podcast. Yeah, yeah. There is a part of me that would go nuts about this. Yeah. Right. That would constantly think about it. That would be really angry. Like there would be a part of me that would get angry to protect yeah. that part. But there's a part of me that would be incredibly needy about wanting you exclusively. Right. And wanting yeah, you to yeah, just yeah. work with me. Yeah. And, but Dude, I actually had that during the last year with uh, like leading up to Greece. <laughs> ah, interesting. Yeah. 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 I think that I think this is so much more normal than, yeah, yeah. than we all like to admit. Yeah. But I would never but that so that part, what that part wants is that Ramin says, uh, you know, every day that part wants Ramin to write me a message, you're the most brilliant podcast. But in the world, I would never podcast with anybody else, whatever, right? Like I'm overplaying this. But every day that part wants to just hear this and just get yeah, me yeah, confirmed. Yeah. Yeah. But then there's other part of me that wants to be fucking free. Yeah. And that wants to do whatever the fuck it wants to do. And that part of me is like, well, maybe tomorrow I want to do something else and I want to do it alone without Ramin. Right. Like, yeah. I don't want to be burdened by him. So if you sent me, you know, <laughs> podcasting love letters every day, that part, that part that wants to be free would then be freaked out. Yeah. So there's an inner conflict where no matter what I'm getting from people that are really important to me, I'm never quite happy mm -hmm. with it because either my needy part is suffering or my independent part is freaking out. Like th there's very rare. I do have balance with some people. You are one of them. Right. But I have noticed that the I recognized and acknowledged the free seeking part of me, but I never recognized or acknowledged the needy part yeah. that was in hiding in the shadows. 
And the things that I, were, that I was doing that were super needy were always pushed slightly below my level of full consciousness. Mm. Right? So I would, whatever, I would like meet somebody that I found interesting. I would, let's say, text them. And then I might check my fucking text message seven, like every, every five minutes. I would just go to my phone to check if I got a response. Mm -hmm. Now, that to me is insane behavior. Yep. And yep. if I saw it in front of me, I would go, dude, yep. just chill, man. Just yep. chill. Yep. And nobody would ever, this person and nobody who knows me would ever know that is that something that I'm doing. Yeah. I was hiding that so good from everybody and myself. I was myself not aware I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. I would check it in a way like a nervous tick or something. I'm not, like while I'm answering emails, I would just open my phone, check no message, put it away, just keep doing things and not really be mm -hmm. conscious of, wait a second, why am I fucking checking my phone every fucking minute? And what feeling do I have every time I check? And what feeling do I have every time I check and I haven't gotten a fucking response? What is that? And there is a real, like, I have an incredibly needy part of me. This is also why I've always overreacted negatively towards needy people in my life. Mm. I can't stand needy people. Yeah. Because I can't stand my inner needy part. Mm-hmm. Right? This is something inside of me that I'm not okay with. So when I see it outside of me manifested in somebody else, it freaks me out. Mm. It's like the most unattractive, like revolting thing. When I see it, I'm like, bah, I'm getting sick. I need to get away from this person. I, I really don't like needy people. And people that have, I mean, not just people that have been my friends, my ex-wife that like lived with me for 10 years, raised children with me, saw me day and down in my worst. If you would ask her to make a list of all my weaknesses, needy yeah, would needy never would come up. <laughs> it would not be on that list. My mother, my brothers, my yeah. best friends, my co-founders, nobody would ever, like needy would never be something anybody would associate with me. Now, to, to be fair, is needy the dominant part in me? No. Is that the main part that's driving yeah. everything I do? Obviously, no, because then it would like it would show itself to others. But it is a part of me. Mm -hmm. It's just not a part that I've known or shown. And so this is a this is a good example of something that I'm just getting to know. And now, when I check my phone for the thousandth time, or there's something little, some weird little thing that a person didn't do that they could not possibly mm -hmm. know I wanted them to do. And that if they did consistently, I would be annoyed that they're overdoing it. Like just these mm -hmm. impossible puzzles where you mm -hmm. want somebody <laughs> to do something that's impossible. Yeah. I want you to write me love letters every time I need it and never write me anything when I feel free-spirited and I don't want to hear yeah. from you. Like how could you ever, how could you ever perform so this miracle? You know? yeah. But now when I notice these things and these inner conflicts that I have, or when I see that neediness rise up, I notice it, I look at it, I smile at it and I go, this is interesting. All right. Like today I had a, I had a moment when I was just at the gym. This is probably why this popped up where I wrote something to somebody who was insecure about what I wrote. So 
as I was working out the gym, I checked my phone like once. And then after, like after my next set, I checked my phone again. And then I stopped and I was looking in the mirror and I had a moment of like almost inner dialogue, but where I saw how insecure a part of me was and how much that part needed reassurance that what it wrote was good or would be perceived well, that I had this nervousness. I had this need to itch, to look. Did I get a response? Did I get a response? What is the response? And then I just looked at that part of me or myself and I just went, it's all good. I love you. Like, you're great. Like, almost in a weird way, reassuring that part that we're good and the answer will come whenever it comes. But independently from the answer, like, you are loved and you are great. And that little for a second interaction, I mean, it was like a three-second thing, a glance in the mirror before I picked up the weights again, felt amazing. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it was, but it just felt great. And you know what it did more than just feel good for those three seconds? It eased the itch. Yeah. It just eased it. I just I just went away. And I, I still want it to be positively received and whatever, but I then it just it soothed it. I was just like, ah, oh, okay, I'm good. I can just, just work out. Peace. Yeah. It was a really kind of tender, beautiful, small moment where I noticed my neediness and I was there for it in some way. I didn't judge it. I didn't go real man. Da, 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 da. I didn't also suppress even looking at it. like I, back in the day, if I had seen my neediness, I would have tried to destroy it, but I never saw it. Maybe it was hiding so well, so I wouldn't attempt to destroy it. But mm. I, I, I would have like my response would be anger towards it, which is a, a in the chain of reactions is something. If I check my, if, you know, in our podcasting example, if I checked, if you were doing podcasting stuff with me, when I wrote you, I want to do podcasting stuff. And every time I checked, there was no response from you. After a couple of times checking, then I get angry. Hmm. Then an angry part steps in to protect the needy part that feels hurt. Yeah. Right. And and then it'd be in my own world of just being and then after the angry part the next part that would step in for me would be the cold part cold, the part that yeah. was like that would say why are you even angry at this let's analyze the situation mm -hmm. this this and this is going on here mm -hmm. then you're way too important too strong to this to that to get to give somebody the worth of your anger yeah, yeah. let's just cut all emotions out and go cold yeah. And then you can just go rationally your own merry way and not think about this person anymore. Yeah. That was the chain, right? This neediness would lead to anger, would lead to coldness. And, and that would have a thousand percent happened today in the gym. And, and what happened instead was much nicer. It was just much, much nicer. So neediness is something like I would have never thought that I'm needy. And it's, uh, it's puzzling me at times how needy I am. And I'm um, trying to like figure it out. Like I'm trying to like experience it, feel it, yeah. notice it, be there for it and see what happens. Yeah. In the village of Steely, there's a needy. <laughs> yeah. <Some new laughs> there's a, there's an insanely needy, needy part. And then it kind of makes sense now that I'm talking to you about this. 
it does make sense. I think that I did feel an insane amount of insecurity as a child and I was yeah. lacking things in my childhood. And right. uh, I also, I think when you associate, when you're as strongly associated like self-worth with self-image and image in general, then, I mean, that explains why I would hide away the neediness. So I come across, come across more strong, but I think that the neediness itself came more from a place of not feeling sure of love hmm. and feeling a lack of things. Right. Right? And so when I want that connection with somebody and then I don't feel it, I get panicked. And when I feel it too much, I get panicked too. Then it's too much, then it's suffocating. I'm constantly in a state of either why you're not loving me more or fuck, why are you loving me so much? Mm. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. and that, how could I ever have a, a, a relationship, especially a romantic relationship that would be balanced and healthy when I have, when I'm this at odds within myself hmm. Hmm. It, it is of what I want. Yeah. So this is to me like a big, one of those big things where, where I have to figure out and resolve within myself if I ever want to be able to be better in relationships, happier in relationships with others. And yeah, this strangely reminds me also like we, we had a conversation with my two older brothers recently and one of them also just is going through a divorce and the oldest one had divorced before and was going through a little crisis in his marriage, his current marriage. And we were all chatting. And then my oldest brother started bringing up the question, well, is there really, if when you find a new woman in your life, is it really that that woman will be better because the women of the past were also good people and good women? Or is it just that it's something new and then later you develop new problems? Sort of like this question of like, is it even, does it even make sense to be hopeful that there's a woman that has all these things that I would want? Because he was criticizing some things about his current partner and I, like fantasizing about some kind of a version of that, that a woman of that, that wouldn't have these issues and then doubting himself about all this. And I told him what I truly believe, which is that like for me, Going through a separation, when I think about hopefully being happy in the future in a partnership and in love, I don't think about finding a better person necessarily. And maybe you find somebody that's more compatible, but that's not really the, I think, the biggest chance for success. But it's the transformation that I have a chance to go through now that would make me a different, me a different person and maybe me, the type of person mm. that has a higher chance to be happy with the new partner. And so there's a lot of these things that I, that I realize as I'm now closing in on like two years of being separated, where I know, okay, I have a bunch of things within me that once resolved, I think will drastically increase my chance of being the type of person that can be in a better relationship that I used to be in. And I think that that's really, that's the shot. And you can do that in relationship too. Some people can do that while they're in a relationship, just transform themselves in some powerful way or the relationship in some powerful way. But that was not an option for me. But that's what, what I think is, is available now. And this is one of those things that I've noticed where I'm thinking, well, it's impossible to be with me when I'm constantly asked, constantly 
ping-ponging between these two states of what I need from the other person to be happy. 